0: And welcome back to the show. Mark Fitch is really uh, a very important resource to us here in Connecticut. He's one of a cadre of terrifically deep dive investigative reporters. We don't have too many, but we have Mark and he works for a company Uh, for a publication called ct inside investigator which you can get in your inbox and i encourage you to do so he was a 2014 robert novak journalism fellow he previously worked in the field of mental health he's written many different publications and he has an mfa from western connecticut state university mark good morning and welcome back to the show hi oh
3: hi thank you for having me on lisa
0: It's always a pleasure. It's always a pleasure. So, Mark, you wrote a a story this morning, Invisible Epidemic, Connecticut's Alcohol Problem. It's a very long piece, by the way. Very, very long (laughs) piece. Um, I want to know why you decided to write this. In other words, why was this news?
3: So actually, I was doing I was doing an article about opioids and I was interviewing um, actually Rebecca Allen, one of the one of the people I interview in this piece uh, from the uh, Connecticut Community for Addiction Recovery. And, you know, while we were discussing opioids, she just kind of mentioned in like a off the cuff, uh, you know, comment. She's like, oh, you know, and then there's the invisible epidemic. So what, what do you mean invisible epidemic? And she's like, well, alcohol. And I said, oh, I said, I guess I kind of had a thought about it like that. And she's like, oh, yeah, that's that's the majority of the people that we see. And it just doesn't get much attention. And I was like, you know what? That's kind of an interesting point. I mean, there has been a lot of, you know, focus, rightfully so. I'll add uh, on opioids and heroin and things like that. But, you know, when it comes to uh, alcohol abuse or, you know, alcohol use disorder, it's kind of hidden except when it's not right i mean because we've been seeing a lot of issues uh lately i mean you start talking like the wrong way drivers we've Mm -hmm. had a couple incidents involving you know state lawmakers and local officials Mm -hmm. uh you know getting busted for dui and everything else and it just it to me, it seemed like kind of the right time. I'm like, you know what? Yeah, I, I think I think this is worth exploring. I mean, what what are the actual numbers? I mean, what are we talking about here? And I thought the numbers were kind of shocking. And when you start talking about the overall death rate when it comes to alcoholism, you're talking 140,000 people per year nationally, and that's that's more than opioids and that's more than guns combined. Yeah. And you know, it's those enormous. two issues get a lot of attention, but this one, because it's so culturally acceptable and so socially acceptable, gets kind of swept under the rug.
0: So you know what, Mark? I, the reason I wanted to have this chat with you and I, and I want you to be doing this talking is because you know my other work. I'm a probate judge. Yes, ma'am. And that, and that means that I deal a lot with family issues and also mm-hmm. I look at a lot of death certificates. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you, I know and I have known for 10 years now just what a scourge alcoholism is. I cannot tell you how many people die of liver disease related to alcoholism. Um, uh, I have had my most um, interesting contested will contest was on the issue of wet brain and whether or not a famous writer who was admittedly a uh, a A devout alcoholic he could not be you know stopped from his alcoholism, but he disinherited his kids um whether or not he still could form the requisite intent to make his will when he made it because he lived essentially on cases of vodka every day and wow. so i yeah so I interviewed some extraordinary not interviewed um the witnesses in the in the um trial were some of the top people on the issue of alcohol. Use, you know, alcoholism is a disorder. And what does it do? What is wet brain? This chronic use of alcohol. So, and of course, I have had to separate families and name Mm -hmm. other people as guardians for children with parents, mothers, and fathers who are alcoholics, who are unable to stop their addiction and very often die. So it is the number one addiction. And that's why I was really glad that you're talking about it. It is the number one for me. I can tell you this in this world that we live in. It's the number one.
3: Oh, you know, it it absolutely is. And, you know, I mean, part of that's because, I mean, we clearly tried, you know, prohibition way back when it did not work out so well. Um, But now, you know, it's, it's very, like I said, socially acceptable, culturally acceptable. And there's just easy access. And, you know, in Connecticut, we've been making access easier. Uh, which you know, it, it, it's, it's a it's a difficult it's a difficult. We've stopped you know, talking
0: about that. this. We've stopped mm-hmm. talking about this as something that society might have some responsibility towards. Except, except this, and let's talk about this. Mm-hmm. We have Mark Fitch. We have decided that. People should not be able to drink until they're 21, and I know that this came about as a result of insurance policies. The insurance policies in the country decided they did not want to insure drivers that were drinking over the age of 18, and they are the ones that were behind this drive to make it illegal to drink until you're 21, but I will tell you, and your article talks about this, that the institution of binge drinking as a terribly poisonous, horrible phenomenon, particularly on college campuses, did not exist when you could drink legally at 18, but exists enormously because now drinking has been relegated to frat houses and other places off campus. There are no controls whatsoever, and these kids are poisoning themselves. Do you do you have a thought about that, about whether or not we should lower the drinking age to manage it better?
3: Uh, I mean, I think there's two things at play. So for one, you know, you get to you get to college and you get to kind of do your own thing. Right. And so part of that is, you know, testing the limits and boundaries and and, and things like that. And I think that's where a lot, you know, doing the kind of the verboten. uh, So you get to you get to drink. And, you know, even if you're not allowed to, it's kind of the thrill of it, right? And, you know, it might be, you know, the, in Europe, they obviously have different standards when it comes to, you know, the age where you, where you can drink. However, um, we've seen in numerous studies, this gets brought up a lot in criminal justice discussions, that the brain is not fully formed until 25 years old. So yeah. uh, introducing alcohol into a developing brain at a younger age all that does is create the, the wiring to create a problem later on. So when I was this, I you know, interviewed uh, Dr. Craig Allen of the Rushford Center, it's one of Connecticut's uh, premier uh, addiction recovery centers. And, you know, his his big thing was, you know, with young people, he goes once once they start, you know, engaging in these kind of behaviors, you know, drinking other other sorts of drugs you know, that, that changes the wiring of their brains, and their brains are developing, and it, it leads to problems later on. Know that lowering the drinking age uh, would necessarily be a, a good thing, uh, especially in terms of brain development. And, you know, but at the, at, then you have kind of have to balance that with, well, does that kind of take the... Um, the allure of it away. Yeah. If you make exactly. it, if you make if it, if you more can go legal. to the army
0: at 18, why can't you have a beer? You know, it, it's, uh, you know, and I could argue it either way, but here would be my question about this empirically. We're chatting with Mark Finch about alcoholism, 203 if you want to join in. You say, despite the fact that alcohol use disorder affects nearly 30 million people in the U.S. over the age of 12, 10% of the population, okay, 10% basically of us in America are alcoholics, according to this. So the question is, now that we can look back on a generation where we have raised the age, do we have fewer alcoholics than we used to? Are we doing a better job or not?
3: So actually, you know, because I I looked at um, the monitoring the future study, it's this huge comprehensive study. And it shows that in some instances, the rate of drinking is going down. is p- particularly pronounced among young people. Fewer young people are turning to alcohol these days. You know, particularly high schoolers. They're replacing it with things like uh, vaping, pot nicotine and, and marijuana. And pot, yes. And pot, and which pot. is
0: also yes. a big problem, in my opinion, underreported, but okay. Keep going, yeah.
3: Uh, and and so there has been a trend, kind of away from alcohol, as some of the health effects. Have been becoming more out in the and being distributed along you know through the internet and things like that, so the younger generations seem to be eschewing it a little bit in favor of other substances that may be more or less harmful depending on who you talk to. I haven't looked into that personally yet
0: you'll you'll but, have a um, chance. We're chatting with Mark Fitch. Mark, Mark, what about women? You discuss women quite a bit mm-hmm. in your article and binge drinking. What's going on with women?
3: So, yeah, it actually it came up a number of times in the people I interviewed. They said, you know, it's really becoming more pronounced among women. And the numbers bore that out, too. While the rates of, you know, alcohol um, use disorder among men has been steadily declining. I mean, it's still it's still more men than women. Has been steadily declining. Women have been moving up, the moving up, and uh, they're they're showing uh, larger increases. Uh, this is something that's not only just documented in the data, but also anecdotally from uh, you know Dr. Craig Allen and some of the uh, recovery coaches that I interviewed at CCAR, uh saying, yeah, it's it's. A lot more women are presenting with these these issues, and all of them point to the marketing. Uh, alcohol, the alcohol industry's marketing has been pretty much they, they learned tobacco companies, and basically it's you know you can cherry pick some scientists, get them to put together some kind of report saying, hey, yeah, actually that wine's really good for you.
2: A lot can happen in three years, like a chat bot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com.
3: And people take that and they say it's a great excuse to be like, hey, this you know, they say a couple glasses of wine a day is, is good for me. And you know, before they know it, they might be having a problem. And yeah, we actually factors. interviewed
0: a we actually interviewed a brilliant scientist from Penn, who of course I can't remember his name now. I'm not the brilliant one; he is, but <laughs> but he but he is the one that said that the studies show, and people don't want to hear this, but it's true that even moderate drinking has a very deleterious impact on the brain. Even moderate drinking, not forget about yeah, binge it's, drinking. Yeah,
3: because it's it's not yeah. fun to hear, right? I mean, right. It's, it's not a, fun it's to kind hear. Of the You're right. You're right. Yeah.
0: You're right. And, it's not fun.
3: And so, yeah. but it, and a lot of this has been filtered down to us through multiple different media sources. I mean, you start getting into like films and television, and a lot of, you know, some, a lot of women in film and television are portrayed as like kind of these like hard drinking, aggressive, or funny, um, you know, functioning alcoholics. And that looks great in Hollywood. It doesn't play out so well in real life. Uh, so there is a sophisticated marketing campaign behind this. And, you know, alcohol, you know, you go way back when alcohol and alcoholism, it was largely a purview of men. But there has been this shift and, you know, the alcohol industry sees, hey, you know, we have a great we have a great customer base here with women, uh, probably more than half the population. And, you know, we'll let's get some, you know, sparkly flavored seltzer alcoholic seltzers and wine you know marketed to them and let's play it up like it's this really really great thing but what you're what we're seeing is an increase in alcoholism among women
0: and you also say that there is a dramatic Uh, whether it's primary alcohol or secondary related to alcohol, there's a lot of traffic related to emergency room visits. The numbers have gone up dramatically over the last 10 or 15 years. The rates have gone up much more quickly in women. And the fact that the rates of drinking have gone up so much quicker in women than men is quite concerning because it hits them worse. Uh, And you talk Mm -hmm. about the emotional impact on women, the fact that uh, women are, you know, the caretakers, it can, op- it can have a disproportionate effect on families when women are alcoholics. I mean, it's not oh, good for absolutely. either I being, mean, but when a woman is and she's a primary caretaker, think about the impact on the children.
3: Yeah, and you also had, you know, uh, COVID playing into it, which had a kind of a disproportionate effect on women. I mean, they were, they were the primary caretakers in a lot of instances for the family, but also working full-time or laid off from their jobs. I mean, they, the, effect, the, the, the effect between the sexes during COVID from the government shutdowns and things like that, uh, it didn't play out equally across, you know, both men and women. And so, you know, during that time of high stress, uh, this is, I'm paraphrasing uh, Dr. Allen, but during that time of high stress, you know, women turned more to alcohol to kind of cope with those negative emotions. And, you know, it was obviously a difficult time, but the numbers post-COVID haven't come back down. So there was kind of like a sharp uptick among, you know, you know, binge drinking among women, and that didn't come down the way it did for, like, younger generations. So, you know, younger generations had kind of an uptick during COVID, and then it kind of right, came right back down to where it was. But among, among women uh, past a certain age, it kind of stayed up there. So and and yeah there's not just the you know we start we talk about deaths and you know the cancers and drunk driving and things like that it's not just that the cost of lives it's also various social costs like you said family disintegration oh terrible! Um, yeah yeah you know the the divorce you know domestic abuse crime all these kind of things a lot of it's fueled by alcohol i mean people make bad decisions on it i mean it's 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 almost part of its part of its uh you know, its pitch is that like, hey, you know, drink, drink, and you can make bad decisions too, uh, but do it responsibly. Uh, so, it, it all it all kind of comes together and creates a a big problem for society and one that adds up to. I mean, the best estimate I was able to get is about four billion dollars a year, and that's that's the cost in money for Connecticut. So that's lost work time. That's cleaning up these vehicle accidents. That's all these different, you know, things that come together. It's got a big social cost and it's got a big monetary cost too.
0: And it is an existential question. We're chatting with Mark Fitch, because we know that the answer is not, it's not going to be found in the legislature, right? It's not. I mean, we try temperance, we try prohibition. We're never going to go back there. If anything, we're legalizing psychedelic mushrooms or decriminalizing them. We're going in the other direction right now. There's no way mm-hmm. anybody is going to make anything illegal when it comes to, to um, alcohol is the issue a much better public health awareness campaign uh, is the issue. You, 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 point up, which I like in your article, the gaps in the treatment system for people that are currently suffering. Uh, mm-hmm. What are do we doing about it? Very little. Apparently T- talk to us a little bit about the gaps in the treatment system for alcoholism. What if you're not an AA person? What if AA doesn't work for you?
3: (laughs) Yeah, that's, that's something that came up because, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous is something that's known. I mean, it's, it's in pop culture. It's been around the longest. I mean, they have a, they have a long track record and, you know, a lot of the people I spoke to, they got sober through AA. It's, you know, they, they, they Harbor, they, that's how they did it. Uh, but it's not the only, it's not the only game in town. There are a lot of different programs out there that, uh, you know, can be adjusted based on what you like to do. If you like to be outdoors, if you're religious, you know, if you're more scientifically minded, there are programs that incorporate the, these things and they've been popping up more and more uh, as an alternative to AI. And some of the gaps in the system, you know, it, a lot of it comes down to residential treatment. So, you know, somebody goes into the hospital, uh, alcohol is such a dangerous drug. It's one of the only drugs that can kill you while you're coming off of it. I mean, it can kill you while you're on it. And then when you try to stop, it can also kill you.
0: It's truly so, physically addictive. Yeah. yeah
3: yes, I know. it really is. And so um, you have to do a medical detox over the course of about three to five days. But yeah. after somebody leaves that, you yes. know, a lot of times they want to go into a residential treatment center because they yeah. don't want to go back to the situation that was kind of causing them to drink in the first place. But a lot of times that's not covered. Um, insurance companies may cover like a brief, you know, some period of time. But if you're on Medicaid, you know, if you're, you know, this, this affects people in poverty or, you know, people who don't have homes and things like that, it's very difficult. Like Medicaid is not going to cover the, the residential treatment. And then if you have a co-occurring dis- disorder, such as like you have some kind of physical ailment, maybe you walk with a cane or something like that. You have to be placed into a higher level of treatment in a residential facility, and there's only I think two of them in the state, and they're backlogged. Mm. So there are gaps in access to treatment. There's a, and when you say what can we do better, yeah. yeah, I mean public awareness campaigns. They're they're often fought. You know, alcohol companies will fight these public awareness campaigns, uh, but I think that is also part of it is raising awareness as the fact that you know, hey, this isn't exactly the best thing for you. But I think in a lot of places, we see government doing the opposite. They celebrate it. Um, you know, it's, hey, look how many breweries we have. And, I you know, know, we're having this this great, you know, open bar celebration and, right. and all these kind of things. And meanwhile, a lot of this stuff is happening right around them. It's fair, so, you know,
0: alcohol is just, it's a lot of mixed messages, Mark. It's it just is. It's a lot yes. of mixed messages, I think. We have to acknowledge that. We have a lot of, you know, different heritages in America where you have a lot of different cultural um, – we're a melting pot, so we got a lot of different cultures that combine in America, some cultures that have very much a love-hate relationship with alcohol, like the Irish, right? You know, they call it the disease, the sickness. They call it that for a reason. I mean, the Irish have been, unfortunately – um, victims of alcoholism probably more than anybody else, but it's also part and parcel to some extent of their culture. Right. So, um, and, uh, we have a lot of different culture and I don't know, the, I don't know the answer. I mean, I, I'm a, I'm not a good person to talk to about this because I don't have an appetite for alcohol. I don't like the taste. So yeah, it's, and, and, it's you know, never, there, there's it's not- never done anything for me, but clearly the overwhelming majority of people uh, like it. They like alcohol. They they, may, they like the taste of wine or they like they adjust to it or they tolerate it over time or they like what it does for them. They like it.
3: Well, all, all addictions start because the substance does, substance does something good for the person using it. It's just it goes from being good to being bad. And it can do that very quickly, depending on what the substance is. You know, alcohol, on the other hand, works very slowly. Uh, opioids, You know, you see people, they they get addicted, they die very quickly. Um, Alcohol, on the other hand, moves at a much slower pace. And so I don't think that there's necessarily an answer, but there is an opportunity to kind of, you know, reverse course and say, you know, raise awareness as to the harmful effects of this drug, and it is a drug, and the opportunity to stop celebrating it Uh, And at least stay neutral on the on the on the subject. Uh, You know, it's it's become a it's become a a cause for celebration. And, you know, this fantastic marketing campaign that the alcohol industry is doing. Uh, But, you know, it doesn't need to be encouraged. And I think that's sometimes where we fall short.
0: Okay, fair enough. It's one of those things, in other words, for adults only that we should be uh, mindful of and use in moderation, right? That's really what it's about.
3: Yeah. Absolutely.
0: Mark Fitch, uh, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, Happy Hanukkah, whatever it is you celebrate happy for whatever it is for mm-hmm. you. And uh, thank you, as always, for doing uh, this wonderful long-form reporting. We, we, we look for your byline, we read your articles, and we really appreciate the homework that you do before you put pen to paper. So thank you.
3: Well, thank you, and happy holidays to you and your staff as well.
0: Thank you, Mark Fitch on the Lisa Wexler show. We'll be right back.
1: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, Hello Fresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Giggy Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Mm. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.
0: Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners
3: deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to
0: 80% less than clay litter.